welcome to Hazelwood's Have You Heard, the essential podcast for farmers and landowners. I'm your host, Nick D, head of Hazelwood's Farms and Estates team, and today I'm joined by Pip Cusack and Nicholas Smale, both senior members of the Farms and Estates team here at Hazelwood's. And we're going to be looking at business structures. We're going to look at control, tax, a whole load of things, but we'll lead you into the subject nice, nice and slowly. So, first of all, Pip, Nicholas, do you want to just say a little bit about your background and why you're interested in this area? Thank you, Nick. Um, so I've been working in the farms and state sector for about 15, 20 years now. Um, my background is primarily in tax and that involves a lot of the capital taxes and the different business structures have or can have a significant impact on those tax implications, as I'm sure we will discuss as we go through the talk today. And I'm Pip. I've been with Hazelwoods for two and a half years, and I'm a senior manager in the Farms and Estates team. Um, I like to think of myself as a bit of a one-stop shop for accounts and tax needs. And when you're starting a new business, your business structure is one of the most important things. Okay, thanks very much, Pip. So if we're going to start right at the beginning, Pip, what are the choices? Okay, so you've got three main choices. A sole trade, which is most appropriate if you're a single individual starting out to trade. Um, Then you've also got a partnership, which we'd commonly see between husband and wife, but you could bring in as many other family members or friends as you wanted. And then finally, we've got a limited company. Limited company. Okay, sole trade, partnership, limited company. And what do we we see in practice, particularly in in the farming sector? So about 80 to 90% of the businesses we see in our portfolio would be sole traders and unincorporated partnerships. We do see the odd company, but it's maybe for a larger business or something that's diversified. Is that the same for you, Nicholas? Or if you have a slightly different mix of clients, do you have a slightly different sort of structure you come across? I think primarily for the the trading side of things, it would be similar. Um, People use companies probably for more specific projects or possibly asset protection in certain circumstances. Okay, asset protection that, and the mention of companies, that brings us on to it. So we've got a range of choices, sole trader, partnership, company. How do you actually decide which one you use? So I think that the first bit is to sort of understand what the family are looking to achieve, and probably what the assets are and who owns them, and whether they're going to be part of the business, uh, how profitable is the business going to be, and who who are you looking to pass those profits to? Do they want them for personal use, or is the business so profitable that actually they want to be able to reinvest them back into the business? Uh, who's going to be involved in the business? Is it just mum and dad, or are they going to have other family members, children, actually sort of involved in the ownership of the business versus being employees within the business? Um, particularly where you're looking at companies is sort of protection from liabilities a risk obviously if a company is limited liability whereas if you're in a partnership it's effectively unlimited liability so depending on the activity being undertaken people might want to to protect themselves there Um, and then of course there's always the tax position which is lingering over everything that people are concerned about okay so very quick, very quickly then, we're looking at the scale of profits, how profits they are, what you want to do with the profits, the assets and the people involved. They're all the sorts of things you talk about right at the beginning. Yes. 
right, okay. Um, we mentioned partnerships. I would say that probably 80% plus of businesses that we come across trade traders, partnerships. Why is that? So I think they're a sort of very flexible business structure um, in that you can easily introduce family members. Um, you can decide who is going to receive what share of the profits. Um, if you've got assets which have got personal use, then the tax consequences are much softer, so we say, than if you're in a company um, where you can claim business, you, you know, you can claim a deduction for the business use of those assets. Um, it's quite a simple structure to set up. And it can also have positive inheritance tax consequences. Oh, we've got quite a long way through there before you <laughs> mentioned tax, Nicholas. But before we come on, because obviously tax is a massive, because um, the, the, the assets are so valuable in the, in, within farming and landed businesses, because we do need to talk about tax. Just before we get there, Pip, do you want to just get a little introduction to when we might see a company being used? Yeah, so we'd come across a limited company if a business was growing quickly. Um, and more specifically, if it's got very high levels of profits, that it can reinvest within the business. So we're not looking to extract those. We're just looking to grow the company. Um, companies are also great if you've got limited liability and you're trying to separate a trade that might be open to claim against it from sort of their own family personal assets, such as their, their main, ha- main residence, for example. Okay, so the company works well to differentiate that from any other assets they've got. Limited liability, clearly important, and clearly there's some quite important tax benefits, which we'll come on to in a, in a minute. <clears throat> so partnerships and companies. Do we actually see people with with both? Do you ever come across that? Partnership and a company at the same time? Yes, we will do. Um, typically, where you've got diversified businesses, we might have, um, say, the core farming and then um, something else which is particularly profitable. And it may be that they keep the farming within the partnership so that you've got the benefit of that and put the very profitable enterprise within the company so you're getting them the benefits of the lower tax rates on profits in the company particularly if they want to use those profits to pay down debt so it can be a bit of a best of both worlds have your cake and eat it type model excellent well we do like having our cake and eating it and i'm sure the people we speak to landowners and farmers like that as well so we've talked about sole traders partnerships companies what other structures do we come across as well so trusts obviously feature highly in our our world um particularly for sort of asset ownership and protection um occasionally you might see that trustees are trading but generally they would rather that their assets were used in a trade and again i suppose we've been talking about risk with limited companies trustees probably don't want the, the risk of trading themselves when it's most likely in reality that it would be the beneficiaries or one of the beneficiaries that would be involved in the business. And do you see trusts as, a, as an appropriate way of holding assets for all farming businesses? Or do you think is that mainly related where you've got significant value, you know, larger businesses, larger landowners? It's Historically, it would have been with the larger landowners. Um, obviously, if we go back a few years, so 2006 there were changes to the way trusts operated and probably that's restricted it to a degree trusts since that date um, so a lot of the trusts that we'd be looking at 
would be um, sort of set up in the sort of the 1900s rather than the 2000s. Um, but they they will be used to hold substantial assets normally. Okay, so we've got trusts, maybe not quite as, as prevalent as they were, or the introduction of new ones, but a bit like sort of tenancies which have been around for a long time, I'm sure trusts will last for a long time as well. So we've talked about all our structures. Let's just maybe just have a bit of an intro into the different way that um, a business trading using one of these structures, how it actually pays tax. How does that interact with tax? Pip, do you want us to give us a bit of an overview? Yeah, so sole trades and partnerships pay income tax on the profits the business generates. So this is not the drawings taken out of the business. They've got great flexibility, so you can allocate profits between different partners. And you can do this considering what other income the partners are bringing in. For example, if one of them also works full-time or part-time as an employee elsewhere. Um, the employees then pay tax on those profits at their marginal rate. So that would be 20, 40, 45%, depending on the profits. And they'll also pay national insurance on those profits, um, depending on their age. And that specifically falls between state 16 and state pension age. Partnerships and sole traders also give flexibility with losses. So you can set any trading losses against other income um, and move them around from year to year. Okay, so the starting premise is most people I'm sure, sure aware that profits taxed on individuals, we're saying range the tax rates for trading profits will probably range from 29%, i.e. income tax plus national insurance, up to 47%. Is that, yeah. that right? Okay, so we hold that in your mind, 29 to 47% for trading profits once you've got profits over 12,000, whatever, for your personal allowance. What about a company then? How are company profits taxed? So companies are completely ring-fenced and they pay tax on their profits, um, which is currently at 19%, but as we now know, finally, has increasing to 25% from April 2023. And then in addition to the company paying tax on its profits, any amounts withdrawn from the company by the shareholders, either as dividends or potentially as a wage for a director, or maybe even rent, is taxable on the individual as well. So if you're extracting large amounts of money from a company, you can end up paying corporation tax and income tax on the amounts that are coming out of the business. And from a tax point of view, what would drive us to use a company as opposed to a sole trade or a partnership? So typically, if we had a business that was very profitable, and as a partnership or a sole trade, those profits are going to be taxed at 45%. If we can move that business into a company, then we're bringing the tax rate down to will be 25%. So we've got a 20% tax saving there. And um, so if, if that's being used, say, to pay down debt, then that money you've obviously got more left over. The other thing is very often actually when we're creating it or moving a business from the partnership to the company is we might end up creating a director loan. So effectively, because the company has received a business of value, it owes that value back to the directors. And if there are profits in the company, you can then draw down on that loan and there are there is no tax on loan repayments. So while Pip's talking about the tax on dividends, and that is very true, to the extent that there is a director loan, it may be that actually we can defer that tax for some time until the loan has been fully repaid. 
So companies will pay lower rates of tax on profits, and then we have a choice. We can either use those profits to grow the business, and we'll have a bigger pot to play with because we'll have paid less tax on those profits coming in, or there may be ways that we can pay those profits out tax efficiently. Paying them out as dividends is clearly, is clearly one way, but as you say, if you've transferred something valuable in, you could get paid back for that. Okay, so in- interesting approach. Pip, is there anything else you want to throw in at this stage between difference between sole traders, partnerships and companies from that side? Not specifically from a tax perspective. I think we've covered off most of the income tax consequences. I'm sure Nicholas can talk us through the inheritance tax differences between partnerships and companies. Okay, so so we're moving away from tax on income. Clearly, we said earlier we've got some valuable assets around with with farms and land land estates. Nicholas, you've obviously been nominated to give us the sort of the background to this in thirty seconds. So the the key things we're trying to protect is either agricultural property relief or business property relief which can give us 100% relief from inheritance tax. Um, And to get that, we want to ensure that our land is used and held within the business rather than being held by individual family members and used by the business. And with a partnership, that's very simple to achieve because the, the, the owners can introduce it into the partnership. There doesn't have to be a change of underlying ownership of that asset so you haven't got any capital gains tax consequence or anything like that at the time and once it's within the business as long as our business is wholly or mainly trading it will qualify for 100% business property relief where you're using a company once you've put land into the company you've got a potential disposal at that point and if it's ever sold you can also end up with tax charges to get the profits back out if the land continues to be owned by a shareholder but is used in the business, it will only qualify for 50% business property relief in the hands of the controlling shareholder. So it can be more restrictive using a company than using a partnership. Okay, so quite a few things are all wrapped up, wrapped, wrapped up there. Definitely took more than the 30 seconds you were allotted. The, um, so we're talking about agricultural property relief. So on, as far as land is concerned, do you need to farm the business yourself to get agricultural property relief from inheritance tax? Uh, no, so if, if you've owned the land for seven years and it's farmed by a third party, it will qualify. If you're farming it yourself, it will be two years. The big difference though is the farmhouse itself, which unless you are farming yourself, will not qualify. Um, so if, if you are farming, you're running your own farming business then providing it meets the character appropriate test then the farmhouse can also qualify okay so we probably haven't got time to go too far into that today but clearly a difference between whether you've got your own farming business or whether you're making your land available to someone else to farm let's keep going with us having the farming business or the landowner having their own farming business we said sole trader relatively relatively simple Partnership, you mentioned about it makes a difference whether something's in the partnership or not in the partnership. How does somebody actually know whether land is held as a partnership asset? So hopefully there'll be two clear places to look. One is the partnership agreement, which will set out the the property capital introduced by the individual partners. And the other place which should make it clear is the accounts for the partnership. And if it's in the partnership, the land will appear on the partnership balance sheet. Now, obviously, for older partnerships, it might have been put in there 
at its original cost value, which will be significantly different from its value today. So it's not always totally clear just by looking at the accounts, what is and what isn't in the partnership, and to have good records supporting behind that is very important. Okay, and that's all to get agricultural property relief, and you said agricultural property relief is important for giving inheritance tax relief on the farmhouse. You mentioned business property relief, and when is that important? So that's much more important where we've got a business which has, let's say, diversified, and we've got the farming activities, but we've also got, say, a number of cottages which are let, and on their own, if you or I own let cottages, they will not qualify for relief from inheritance tax. If, however, they're part of a business which is wholly or mainly trading, so it's effectively 51% trading, then they can also get relief. So at that point, it's, it's important that they're on the balance sheet. Okay, so for those of you with partnerships, it's worth checking out whether things are in the partnership, outside the partnership, you need to understand what exactly says, check your partnership agreement, and you need to understand the inheritance tax implications of those. So that's as far as a, a partnership is concerned. Pip, do you want to give us an example where we've maybe got a simple company, company um, involved, and maybe what the inheritance tax implications are? If the business owner has chosen to trade as a company, what sort of things should they think about from an inheritance tax point of view there? So if you've got a company, say it's a husband and wife company, with the farming business inside, including the farmhouse. Okay, you can have the farmhouse inside or outside. It doesn't really, doesn't really matter. Let's make it really simple to start off with, where all the assets are owned outside, farmhouse owned outside, farmland owned outside, and the trading element is within the company. So the shares that the individuals own of the trading business within the company should qualify for business property relief, as long as the company is a trading business. Yeah, no, that's a good, good, good place to start. And then, as far as the inheritance tax relief on the land, it's on the land and the farmhouse itself. Nicholas, what do you so for agricultural property relief? If it's farmed through a wholly owned company, then that would be deemed occupation, and so you would still qualify for one hundred percent agricultural property relief. Okay, so maybe the thing to think about there is that. Um, it's, there's an extra step involved in wondering about what inheritance tax position is where you've got a company. Is that fair? Yeah, definitely. And, um, and then it becomes even more important if we've got other activities within that business, so a that cottage as well. Right, okay. So we've covered the whole range really from sole traders, partnerships, companies. We've talked about a little bit about the introduction to the income tax treatment companies, lower rates of tax, grow your business quicker. We've talked about the importance of, of thinking about the inheritance tax implications, depending on what your choice of business structure is. And we talked about the fact that trusts are quite useful for protecting assets. Against that backdrop there, is there anything else you want to say about the inheritance tax position? Or is that about as much detail as we can go into this morning? That's probably as much detail other than it can change because part of it is driven by asset values. So just because on day one we think that we've got the right structure, we need to be mindful that it is something that changes over time and therefore it's something that needs to be looked at on an ongoing basis. Okay, I wonder if that's the right time just to sort of maybe wrap up and try and just think 
maybe we just leave our listeners with one thing to think about afterwards. It's nice if you can break this down into steps which people can think of, think about in relatively short chunks. But um, Nicholas, do you want to go first? If there's one thing that you'd like people to think about after listening to this podcast. So I think it's to be very clear on what your objectives are, because that knowing where you're trying to get to will then sort of determine what is the most appropriate business structure to help you get to, to where you want to be. Okay, thank you. Clear objectives. Pip, what would be your sort of overriding suggestion? Uh, make sure whatever you do is clearly documented. So make sure it's registered with HMRC, the type of entity you're trading in, and then you've got a partnership agreement or shareholders agreement backing up your decisions. Clear documentation. You know, you do hear some horror stories about people sort of arguing about what's in the partnership, what's outside the partnership, how an asset should be treated, who actually owns it. So clear documentation will help sort that out. So we've got clear objectives from Nicholas, clear documentation from Pip, and I would think that my suggestion would be be flexible. Things will change over a period of time. Um, so what was the right structure initially, you might start trading something simple like a partnership, may evolve and if it becomes more profitable then it might be a company and then you might need to think about the inheritance tax and you might need to think about who's actually controlling the business. So clear objectives, clear documentation and be flexible, change. And don't forget the tax. Don't forget the tax. Thank you very much for joining us today. As ever, if you have any questions on anything we've discussed, please do get in touch with a member of our team. You can find all our detail, all our contact details on our website, www.hazelwood.co.uk. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.